Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and this is our show about earning a living independently doing something you really care about. We have two guests on the show today. The first is Sarah Peck, founder of Startup Pregnant, which aims to radically rethink what parenting and working can and should look like. You heard Sarah on The Fizzle Show back on episode 312, where we talked about launch expectations and keeping your momentum after launch. Welcome back, Sarah. Uh, So great to be here. Thanks, Corbett. We're also joined by Tom Ross, who was on the show back in episode 302 with his story of burnout and rebirth. Tom is founder of designcuts.com and is now helping creatives find clarity and success in their marketing with easy to digest content as Tom Ross Media on Instagram. Tom, thank you so much for being here today. Pleasure. It's great to be back. All right. Yeah, it's fun to have returning guests. You guys kind of know the drill and uh, people listening might recognize your voices. Um, Let's jump in today by talking about marketing. Tom, I wanted to start with you because you have made a big transition recently uh, from building design cuts. And for people who aren't familiar, maybe just give us a, a, a snippet about what design cuts is and how long you've been working on that project. Sure. So um, it's funny you ask, literally today is the start of our sixth birthday event. So we turned six today. All right. Um, Congrats. Thank you, man. Um, Time flies, right? So um, we are, in my humble opinion, the best marketplace out there for creatives. So designers buy stuff like fonts, templates, all these things to save them time in their creative projects. We basically get them the best resources with the best licensing for the best price. And around that, we've just built this highly engaged, incredible community of people. So that's the day job. And what you alluded to um, with Tom Ross Media is the side hustle. So this is where the uh, limited free time kind of goes out the window <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but I, I, I love both. Uh, you know, my company's my baby, but my side hustle is like my kind of scratching that itch, fulfilling that passion. Yeah. And so um, what's the motivation behind that? Is it is it just... As entrepreneurs, we're always looking for another challenge. Is there um, some future plan that you have in mind? What's the motivation behind um, having a very successful business? Design Cuts has been around for six years. You've got dozen plus employees. Um, and then switching gears to build a personal brand of sorts. It's in There's overlapping content, obviously. It's in the same space. You're talking to designers and creatives. Um, but building a personal brand is a, is a different kind of thing. Was there some sort of strategy behind that? Yeah, completely. And to be honest, the more I lean into the personal brand, the more stuff it opens up more than I could have imagined. So at first it was kind of like, and like I mentioned, I wanted to scratch that itch. I believe in personal branding. I wanted to do it for years, but in the early phase of my company, I was so bullish about growing that. I just didn't have a spare moment. So it's kind of been in the back of my mind and I've just really enjoyed being able to do it because as much as I love my company and I love my team, you become diluted to an extent when you have a team and we're at 20 people now. And so the bigger we've gotten, the more diluted you become. And what we become is something much stronger than just me, but I kind of miss that thing where it's like just me and I can, I can do a bit of everything. I can make some content, I can make some connections and just that like in the trenches entrepreneurship, I guess I I missed a bit of that. Corbett, this is so interesting to me because I feel like, and I'm sure people listening, this kind of split personality of like, do I do I build this brand or that brand? Because I have a brand, Startup Pregnant, it's a company, and then I also have Sarah K. Peck, 
like my personal brand. Yeah. And I am consumed with the questions about like, which one do I build and grow first? And like, how do I layer them? And I've arrived at this point where it's like, it's like, you know what, the more you build startup pregnant for those six or seven years, the better my personal brand will do. And that one will come next. So Tom, I want to hear everything you have to say about this. <laughs> I appreciate that, Sarah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I started doing it just to kind of explore that passion. But then I realized the more I did it, I was like, actually, this is opening up so many doors for my company because they're in similar creative spaces. And the fact is people prefer dealing with people over dealing with companies. No matter how personal I make our company, I find it a billion times easier to network and make those connections as an individual. And we signed up so many business partners. We've got the audience out there so much more when actually it's just me making friends with people in our industry. And that's something I couldn't really do effectively uh, through the company. And so they're kind of just symbiotic now. They're really feeding each other. Um, but yeah, there is a strategy behind those two things. Like the aspirations are release a best-selling book, hopefully in the future. Um, I've now got a Patreon and a kind of group coaching th thing that I do. And that's my biggest passion. Like Corbett, you remember when I was in the Fizzle forums, I did that gigantic thread of uh, trying to mentor people and critique their websites. Yeah. And I did freaking like hundreds of them for free. <laughs> like You were a machine. Yeah. You don't, enjoy, you don't do that unless you truly enjoy it. And yeah. I remember running up to my girlfriend at the time when I was trying to help people in DMs and stuff in the Fizzle forums. And I'm like, oh my God, that guy that I was helping, like he couldn't pay his mortgage and now he can. And I got no money out of that, but I just, I really enjoyed it. It's like my biggest passion. And I would say it's an even bigger passion than running my company. And I freaking love running my company. <laughs> Sarah, um, I know that you have, for, to me, you've always sort of infused your personal brand in whatever project you're doing. So, so even though, you know, you have a different name for your project than your own personal name, it always seems to me that it's Sarah Peck, first of all, and then it's kind of this other thing. Um, when you were getting started, did you have to make a hard decision about which one you, you went with? Because you do have both kind of simmering or you have your own personal brand simmering. Was that a conscious thing? Yes, it was. And I, and I, I think that like maybe from the outside, it's hard to see there are such pros and cons with each approach. Like I, I built sarahkpeck.com and my personal brand first for about five or six years. That's when I first met you, Corbett, like 2010. And um, I, I think one of the challenges there is psychological. You, you're like, what do I stand for? What do I believe in? What do I write about? What do people come to me um, about? And what is my business model? Those are not easy questions to figure out. And when you are interlacing them with who you are as a person, I think you can run into a lot of problems. You're like, but, but I like all these things. So can I do all of these things? Right. And getting really clear on and distinguishing like, this is my business, not who I actually am, although they're related. I think that's a challenge of the personal brand. So when I started Startup Pregnant, which is about um, women in entrepreneurship and parents in entrepreneurship navigating those early parenthood days, I deliberately did not want to make it about myself because, I mean, I'll be really frank here. Like, we don't need any more white mommy bloggers. Um, as personal brands, that's my opinion, but I, I think- it Are there a lot of them? I, it's <laughs> not are, something I pay attention to too much. <laughs> there are like thousands of conferences devoted to them. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so the like, like mompreneur brand, like just look at one hashtag on Instagram, you know, like the hashtag mompreneur and 
try not to vomit too much. Um, no, I, I do. I love, I love talking to parents and entrepreneurs, but I think, I think there's so much more to have in this conversation. And I wanted to talk specifically to startups and like high growth, um, and yeah. ambitious entrepreneurship. So anyways, it was so much easier to build that brand because I was much more clear about who my audience was, what I stood for, what we believe in. And, and also I had an easier time personally, and Tom, I'm curious uh, for you, I had an easier time starting to hire contractors and people to do some of the work versus when it was a personal brand, I kind of fell back into the services and like, I have to do everything myself mindset. Um, that's kind of interesting to be honest, because I think we've done it different ways around. So my personal brands on the back of my company, um, I was initially resistant to delegation with my company. So worked a hundred hour weeks, you know, it did super well in the first year. We didn't hire for 10 months. And even then it was part-time, which is ludicrous. We should have hired, you know, month zero. And so with the personal brand and the lessons I've learned from that, I've now got three part-time people working for me with my personal brand. I'm losing over a thousand bucks a month because my plan is to kind of lose money and then break even and then it break out and become something quite profitable. But I'm, this is how much I believe in personal branding. I'm working a bunch of extra hours. I'm investing my own personal money, a ton of time, a ton of effort, like all this stuff. None of it makes sense on paper, but I'm going to Warren Buffett it where it's going to compound interest and it's going to pay off in a few years time. Well, do you think that's a, a function of like second time entrepreneurship more than, because you and I just sequence these uh, we differently. Like, is it just a function of the second time you're, you're starting up this business? You're like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hire people a lot faster. But how nice is it? Like, it sounds like you've kind of had these multiple rounds of entrepreneurship. You've got so much more clarity because I know when I came out of Fizzle, I'd done a bunch of stuff before but I felt like I started my company actually knowing how stuff worked from day one yes. instead of it just being a complete minefield. And now the next thing I start, whatever that might be, I'm going to have so much more clarity. Again, you can just hit the ground running. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think the, like the idea to concept to um, like the whole, in the beginning, the landscape is a little murkier because you're learning alongside doing. And so you're like, well, what is the next thing that I should do and how do I do it? And like, is this the right next thing? And then you're also figuring out the steps of like, hold, please, let me go take the Google analytics course and fizzle like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you take a month to do <laughs> yeah. that. And you're like, okay, got that. Hold, please. Let me test my idea. And it just <laughs> takes a long time, like three, four years, which is probably why it's wise to have things start as side hustles and then yeah. it's easier to get going the second third fourth time around oh, so tom, much easier tom i'm curious um sarah mentioned something about personal branding which is you can really get in your head about these almost existential questions like well who am i right when when you put your name out there and your face and and it represents you it's tough because you know that you have to uh, pick a specific topic and a group of people that you can help, but you're a multifaceted person. You've got all kinds of interests and you don't want to pigeonhole yourself necessarily. How did mm -hmm. you navigate that? And and what have you found to work in, in personal branding? Because I know that, uh, like, for example, when we had you on the show earlier, um, I think it was this year still, uh, yeah. we were talking about burnout and um, you had this, this um, entrepreneurship sort of vibe around that that conversation that you were having and that podcast that you started and you've transitioned a little bit more into to marketing and design and creative stuff was that yep. intentional or or like how is that formed for you yeah so um i'm a huge fan of niching 
And it sounds like you definitely are as well, Sarah, which I love. Uh, so many people are resistant to it and they're like, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. The opposite is true. I talk about this a lot. If you try and reach everyone, you reach no one. You become invisible, right? And that was happening. I was putting out content and it was pretty decent content around marketing and entrepreneurship. But there's a billion people teaching marketing and entrepreneurship to entrepreneurs. It's very, very noisy. And so I just made a simple sidestep that a lot of my audience on the back of knowing me through my company were creatives. So inherently, whenever I shared marketing advice more aimed at creatives, it over-indexed and it did better. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to start doing marketing advice for creatives. And I went from competing with probably hundreds of thousands of people to really about three people who are actually doing that well. And it changed the game. Like overnight, I started seeing traction. So on my Instagram, which is one of my main platforms, I think it had taken me two years, maybe even three years to get to like 2,000 followers. I've grown to 15,000 in about three months. So it's just really started to take off. And that is purely through niching. It's like, yeah, I started kind of focusing a bit more on content, maybe trying a bit harder there, but they feed each other. Because as Mm. soon as I saw more traction, I could put more time and energy in. And then I'd see more traction and so on. But that all stemmed from niching, which is why I'm such a huge believer in it. Can you talk more about what your personal brand is and does? Like, what's the business Hmm. model for Tom Ross? There's not a huge one right now. Like, this is how much I believe in it. Like I said, I started doing a Patreon recently, um, but that's really something I was doing for free for like a year, just helping people on a group call. And I was like, I just need to charge for this because otherwise more people keep signing up and then it becomes too diluted so this is going to be a filter to like limit numbers but i'm not that interested in making money from it just yet like Mm -hmm. i get paid from my company i'm doing this just to build equity and network all of that good stuff for the future but to uh, corbett's point i did a post about this recently with uh, macro and micro branding where the macro is like what you do what defines you and i use the example of the rock because he's awesome And so I was like, what's he known for? He's known for like being a Hollywood movie star, a wrestler originally, like some of his TV shows and maybe kind of like a a bodybuilder as well. That's like the surface level stuff. But what is beneath that is like, well, he's pretty funny. He's got hilarious banter with Kevin Hart, like ripping the piss out of him. He's really well-dressed. He's always in like GQ magazine and all this kind of stuff. Like he cares about his fans. I remember he did a series of videos where he'd like sign every autograph. And there was like a dozen things I could list just off the top of my head. He loves sushi. He loves tequila, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that for me is the micro branding. Mm. And what I found is both are equally powerful. There's people I follow where I actually, I don't really care what they do on the macro. I don't really like love the rocks films, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not like a Fast and the Furious fanboy, Um, but I really like like his entrepreneurial drive and his motivation and his humor and his outlook. And I call that some of his micro branding features. And so I actually think when you're personal branding, lean into yourself so fully and don't hold anything back. And people are often like, but what about this? That's kind of inappropriate or I cuss a lot and like I should hide that part. And it's like, fine, only share what you're comfortable with. But I've noticed over and over and over again people with a personal brand, the more they share fully, the better they do. Mm, That's so interesting. You know, I took Marie Forleo's B-School way back. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things she has us do is to ask like 20 of your closest um, business colleagues, friends, people that you want to hear back from, right? Like not, maybe not your mother, maybe your mother, like depends on your relationship. Um, And 
they gave feedback on qualities of like how you show up in the world for me. Cause I don't know if I could answer that question. I don't know if I could tell you, Tom, like, Hey, I think I'm really funny or, Hey, I think this is. It's hard, right? They're yeah. giving you self-awareness essentially. Yeah. So you can reach out like, so people listening, you could reach out and ask you know, 20 people, like, what are the qualities that you see in my work that aren't necessarily about the topics that I talk about? Like, mm. you know, and, and it's like, well, you're, you're crass without being rude. And you're like, I am. Whoa, right? Whatever it is. And and I love that because then you can build on it. Was that actual feedback you got, Sarah? You know, they didn't say it quite that way. <laughs> okay, but that's how you took it. That's how you're going to remember it forever. Straight shooter. I'll, I'll call it being a straight shooter. Straight shooter. Okay, there yeah, you go. That's a euphemism if ever I had one. <laughs> um, Sarah, I, I would love to, to, to find out, if we can, what you've learned from running Startup Pregnant, um, both in terms of running a business around. So it's I think it's interesting that you decided to sort of jump into um, the space that you said was occupied by a lot of people, mommy bloggers, but you niched it in a different way. You focus on people who are um, aiming to have more of a career maybe outside the home, um, people that are in more high growth sort of situations and not just trying to earn a buck on the side or whatever, and then also showing how you organize your, your cabinets or something, um, in addition to, so, so you, you took a more serious and like career minded approach, I guess. Um, but what have you learned from entering a niche that is already occupied by other people in that way? Do, do people put labels on you? Do they assume certain things because of that? I think this, this is such an interesting question. We can take it in a lot of ways. I, the, the reason that I wanted to start this was because when I first got pregnant, I was working at a startup. We were a venture-backed startup, Y Combinator-backed. We were teaching people how to code. Um, I was in like a pretty masculine Silicon Valley-style um, atmosphere and ethos, and I didn't see enough people that looked like me. And I felt like work was broken for me. I felt like I would show up and I couldn't make it work. And I struggled for a long time about whether or not to take it personally. Um, and then I started researching and I came to the belief that work is broken in a lot of ways, not just for pregnant ladies or moms, but for everyone. Like what I'm finding applies to you, Corbett, applies to you, Tom, applies to the people listening. It just happens to be that um, time is so tight and so restricted for parents. And there are so few resources for parents in the work world and in our culture, in the American culture, um, that... Uh, it just, it's untenable. It doesn't work. And so I wanted to start speaking out about it and, and build a company to support people that were inside of this madness. Um, I don't know if that answers your question though. Like, where do you want to go? Well, okay. And so, um, are, are things changing for startups? Uh, is there more awareness in this area? And, and I guess it's not just startups necessarily. Um, and, and we should also talk about entrepreneurs and how it affects them as well, because people listening to this might be, you know, family planning or something and, and getting to that point. And, and so your boss ends up being yourself in that situation. Um, but I guess what, what's the landscape like now for parents? Yeah. And if, if you are thinking about planning a family, um, is, is being an entrepreneur a smart thing is working for a smart up, a startup, a smart thing, like, or does it depend case by case? Yeah. So, so we're at a really interesting tipping point, I think culturally when most of the like big, um, tech companies that were started in the early aughts, like 2005, 2008, the Googles, the Facebooks, the, the biggest companies, most of the people that joined that joined when they were 22, they're now 35. Right. And they're, 
like, oh, we want to have families. What do we do? Like, how do we build a company around this? That's point number one. Point number two is there's this big study out by Harvard Business, uh, the business School, and they talk about the future caretaking crisis. So how the majority of people in our generation aren't just going to be taking care of children. That's only a small aspect, but we're also taking care of growing and aging parents. Mm-hmm. And everyone is going to be affected by the need to take care of some family members, whether it's aunts or uncles or sick spouses or people diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease or grandparents. So it's not little tiny babies. It's actually a huge sweeping change in the way that we take care of people in the future, coupled with the fact that um, the majority of women are now entering the workforce, which wasn't true 60 years ago. So we've got so many changing dynamics in the workforce um, and the world of work is changing. More and more people are entering the gig economy and becoming entrepreneurs. Basically, it's a really cool wild frontier. And the ethos of startup culture is that we get to make things up and do things differently. So I am basically trying to issue a challenge out there, which is we don't have to do work the way that it's always been done our businesses are products as much as the products we sell. We can design work cultures and the future of work in new ways that are tenable, that are flexible, that are um, responsive, that are remote. So I'm going off again, Corbett here. I get so fired up about this, but this is like the mission of what we're trying to build. And yes, I think it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. And yes, you should build a company and you should build it um, in a way that makes people's lives better. I like that you mentioned that um, this isn't just a problem that affects parents because, or women, because um, everybody is, you know, likely going to have someone to take care of in the future. But also, um, time is just a precious resource for all of us. And I think even if you don't have someone to take care of, uh, work can be an all consuming thing. Tom knows firsthand, uh, having gone through. Um, multiple, what, 80, 100 hour weeks for, for years. And, and that was yeah. something you inflicted on yourself. Yeah, it's true. Um, although I saw every time you've mentioned burnout, Sarah, you kind of nodded. So have you mm-hmm. a bit of this as well? I'm guessing. Oh yeah. I mean, work culture is oh. like all encompassing and everyone, everyone, right? Like everyone who is listening to the, this podcast is going to experience it probably within five or seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's kind of goes with the territory. I was talking to my business partner before jumping on this call and I was moaning because I was like, why are none of my friends freaking entrepreneurial? I never have anyone to talk to about this stuff. And that's why I love these calls so much because it's like pure passion coming through the screen at me when you're talking, Sarah. <laughs> it's really cool. You can see it. I'm like so fired up. My hands are like waving. People listening, right? I'm like I'm like gesticulating wildly while I'm talking, but you can't see it. It's terrible. Like when you get around like-minded people at a conference, they're like, are you on crack? It's like, no, I'm just like, I love this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been storing this up for the past several months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sarah, um, from a practical standpoint, if you are hiring people, if, if, you know, and all, and most of us do in the course of our entrepreneurial journeys, we end up hiring other folks, whether it's part-time or contractor or full-time employees. Um, talk about the, the pool of resources available. If, if we pay more attention to the needs of parents and, and people who, who might have unique, you know, uh, home situations or, or they might be a caretaker for someone like, what can we do to tap into that pool of people Mm -hmm. and, and just to be more accommodating without necessarily giving things up in our business, right? Because at the same time, we want to make sure that people are 
productive and focused on the business. So, so how does that work? How does that gel? Sure. I have a couple of of stories I love to tell when it comes to this. Um, First of all, like a lot of people are scared to hire a pregnant woman and, and that kind of trickles down to like glancing to see whether or not people have a ring on their finger, like to see whether or not they're getting married, asking whether or not they're planning on having children because most business owners are terrified that someone might leave for a few months. Um, And my kind of news flash or wake up call is like, anybody can leave at will, like that's generally the nature of employment contracts. And generally speaking, when people get pregnant, they have some advance notice, which is pretty cool. So you now have like a six month clock to do things like set up operating procedures and systems and a plan for when someone leaves, which is not something you get when an employee just up and goes. So there's a lot of benefit to hiring pregnant people that we don't see. We're just so scared of something that we don't see it as an opportunity. Um, And I have this, I, I love joking that like, you know how there's that saying, um, if you want to get something done, ask a, do you know the answer? Ask a what no. person, busy person. Have you ever heard okay. that, right? Like if you want yeah, to get yeah, something yeah. done, ask a busy person. Sure. I think if you want yeah. to know whether or not to do something in the first place, you should ask a pregnant person because <laughs> they're going to tell you, they're just going to look at you at like 7 PM. Their eyes are going to be burning. They're going to have built like a little tiny hand inside of their body while executing on the entire project. And they're going to be like, nah, dog, we don't need to send 27 emails. We can do this in three. Like we really can, <laughs> right? Maybe four. I'll give you a bonus email. And there's just kind of a like, a like ruthlessness to getting stuff done that I see, which is pretty great. But the, it, but aside Sarah, from, it, yeah. It, is that true of uh, parents as well? Because from the parents who are entrepreneurs I've seen, the only way they manage is by saying no more often Bingo. and just cut, cutting out the busy work because otherwise you cannot fit it in. A hundred percent. And I and like I think that a lot of people are are scared of being that ruthless and you're going to get there one way or another whether you become a parent or you try to do 100 hours of the work on your own at some point there's a breaking point and what happens next is you end up having to develop better systems and better skills at saying no mm-hmm. i i've uh had the the benefit of watching steph crowder uh who was on the fizzle team for some time and now uh runs courage and clarity on her own I had the benefit of seeing behind the scenes what it was like leading up to uh, delivering both of her children. She has two now. Uh, the first one, she was on the fizzle team, and then the second one, she was running her own thing at Courage and Clarity. But I swear she got at least twice as much done for the you know three to six months leading up to her end date because you have to wrap everything up with a bow because you're not going to be available. You don't you know. And, uh, so like you said, it just becomes this ruthless game of like, okay, what's everything that I need to have done by this date so that I can leave for three or six months or whatever and feel good about it. And then have a thing that I can come back to and feel good about that as well. That's the other thing, you know, people, I feel like when they're going on parental leave are very responsible because they know that they're going to come back to this job at some point. And, uh, and just making sure that everything's in, in, in a good place because they feel, uh, I'm sure a bit of guilt and there's all these different They're hustling emotions wrapped their butts up off. in it. They're hustling their yeah. patooties uh, off. So now but, if you are a crash and burn kind of person, cause I know plenty, I interview pregnant women for a living. So not everyone has a nice bow at the end. Some people like just like <laughs> stuff just, hits the fan. They're like, yeah. I don't know how to do this. Or like, 
Harvard Business Review got back to me about my article on the day that I went into labor. I was having contractions and I looked at my husband and I was like, I'm getting this done. Like, I was like, so, <laughs> you know, I was like, I really have been trying to do this for six years. Like, um, and, and then I couldn't get it done. I, cause it's really hard to fight labor contractions. This you don't win that one. Sure. Um, but like 10 days later, after we were home from the hospital, I looked at my husband and I was like, you're gonna call me a workaholic. I'm gonna call me a workaholic, but I just want to just want to finish this thing. Like this is the thing I want to finish that I'm putting the laptop away. Um, but for those who do have more of a crash and burn or like it's all chaos, which it can feel like there's really cool research out there. Um, and Sarah Lacey is one of my like favorite authors. She founded Pando Daily and Chairman Mom. Yeah. She, I've got one of her books, the, the once, once you're lucky, twice you're good. That's right. That's, yeah. yeah that's and then she has like crazy something, something is her second book. Um, she, I think it's her second book. She talks about how, so working parents tend to take about a two year hit in productivity, productivity. So you don't actually get quote unquote better right away, you, but the productivity hit isn't as much as you think it's about 15%. The experience is that you feel like you're 50% as productive. Like you're panicking internally and you're like, oh my God, I can't do things the way I used to be able to, but it's really only 15%. However, you then consolidate because you've gone through this like two-year MBA of not having as much time and your productivity gains for the next 40 years are better than your original starting point. So like- Because because you you had to learn how to cope with less time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's reassuring. And I'm taking mental notes seriously because I hope and anticipate that we're going to have our first kid in like three, four years or something. Yeah. And this is this is all coming, and I um, I want to be straight with you, Sarah. Like it's pretty daunting to me. Um, like me I too, struggle. and I'm I've been through it. It's daunting, <laughs> but keep like, going. Yeah, like I feel. Um, to be perfectly honest, I feel like I'm making stuff up as I go along. Anyway, I feel like I struggle as it is. I feel like a giant child sometimes. I'm like, I can barely look after myself. How am I going to look yeah. after a tiny human and do all of this stuff? Like, it just, it sounds terrifying to me. It is. I, and you'll be, <laughs> and you'll do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Like you, you, know, you have to, right? What's your alternative? Yeah. I mean, uh, so yeah. It, without getting too far down the rabbit hole of like parenting strategies, but this is one that's really helped me in entrepreneurship. Um, Uh, my husband and I talk a lot about like being a good enough parent. Like there is no perfect parent. We don't know what we're doing. We're just trying to do a good enough job. And like, sometimes it means I pull tortillas out of the like back of the fridge and I slap on a plate and I look at my husband and I'm like, good enough. That's dinner. Like, and like I slide it over and my, my three-year-old's like, yay, tortillas. Like he's thrilled. And I'm like, okay, that's good enough. (laughs) You know, but I think sometimes the same is true in, in business. Like we can obsess and obsess and obsess about a personal brand or getting the right strategy. And you're like, look, I just, I'm going to give you my good enough meditations. And for someone, they're going to be phenomenal. Like they're going to work. Like they're going to be like, yay, right. Tortillas. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to that actually. Cause, um, I think it's a big thing with entrepreneurs, but especially creatives where they're perfectionists. It's like, mm-hmm. especially visually with creatives, it's like every pixel has to be perfect. And I've learned to value speed over perfection. So there's stuff I do all the time. Like I'll, I'll literally see a typo in one of my posts and be like, I don't have time to read it. And I just put it out to the world. I don't care anymore. And it's so liberating to be able to do that and be like, I know this could be better, but what I've got is certainly better than nothing. 
and I don't have time yeah. to dwell. And, and you so know that spending that time elsewhere is more valuable. And exactly. It, and I'm sure the same happens when you're a parent and you just decide like, look, I, I could spend an extra two hours re-editing this blog post, but it's probably 90% of the way there already. And I'm going to appreciate having spent this extra hour with my kid instead, yeah. right? I will also say something for people listening and Tom, for you, like, I think there could be a lot of misconceptions out there. Um, and this might be a gendered thing, but like about how like, oh, parenting could be great or, or um, like you learn so much. Like even our, our conversation here is a little bit like, and then we get all this good stuff out of parenting and like being the straight shooter that I am. Um, I am currently like right now in my life, like I like being a parent. I love my kids, but I miss working. Like I want to work more. I love mm -hmm. Corbett. You met me like back in the day. I, like I, I just keep looking at my husband and my friends and being like, I just want to work for 16 hours. I haven't had 16 hours in a row to work. And like, I am craving that, which is strange to say, because I would have thought like the perfect balanced life is you end at three and you go get your kids and you have dinner. And like, this is ideal. And I don't know. I am like, we're talking right now in my family about me once a month going and getting a hotel room so that I can work all day Friday and then like have a glass of wine and work till midnight and then get up at yeah. eight and keep thinking about my own ideas. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I, that's what you miss. That's what I, I miss. Love that. Yeah. That, that's like the antithesis. Most people book a spa retreat to go and do no work. <laughs> You're booking a retreat to go and be a workaholic. Yes. I'm and like, I, I, I want to work. I want to write 10,000 words in like 24 hours. Go give it to me. I, <laughs> I just, just watched, um, there's a, a three part documentary about Bill Gates on Netflix I, right now. I it's, just watched it. Amazing. I'm it's fascinating. It. Yeah, fascinating. It's Love it. Love it. There's so much good in that. But, um, did you see the part where he takes a think week yeah. Oh. multiple times. It sounds like at least once a year, multiple times a year where he just goes away for a week. He has a giant tote full of books and spends that entire week just basically reading and taking notes and thinking. I know. Mm -hmm. And they did some like close up panos of like his eyes moving across the page as he was reading the book. He's like speed like, reading. We're salivating, like watching this, like, oh, that sounds and, and amazing. he remembers all of it. I haven't read that many books in the last decade. Yeah. I haven't got time to read hardly. And he's doing that in like a few days, right? Oh, yeah. those think weeks. Yeah. yeah, Corbett, that's like right. my fantasy right now. If I could win the lottery and be like, you can just go. I like. I, I think I'm, what I'm going to do over Christmas is apply to a bunch of writing residencies so that I can get <laughs> That's a great idea. I, I, I just talked about this recently, Sarah, because um, I got back from a working vacation in Turkey. And we yes. had this lovely villa. But because I was away from the team, I was working, but I didn't have all the busy work and distraction and being pulled in all directions. So I got my core work done, but I actually did have time to read some business books. And oh my God, it's like, finally, I, I could work on my business more than in my business because yeah. I took that step back and saw the bigger picture. Yep. And every single time without fail, that pays dividends. Well, this is a perfect transition because I wanted to ask you both about how much time you spend planning versus doing in your business. Do you have, what, what is your daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual cadence look like in terms of planning and forcing yourself to take a step back and look at your business instead of just heads down, you know, doing, doing, doing. Mm. Sarah, let's, let's start with you. If you don't mind, I'd love to know. Sure. I mean, I could talk about this for a long time, but I'll try to be succinct. I am a huge fan of quarters. I think they're genius. Um, I love the 13 week structure and I usually try to spend one of those 13 weeks planning. 
And then that divides the next 12 weeks really nicely into six sprints, or if you're doing shorter projects into week-long projects. Um, and I do an annual review every year. I write about it on sarahkpeck.com. And then I'm this year now teaching a how to do an annual review course at the end of the year. So it's like 10 questions for reflection and then how to set up your quarter coming up. Um, and I think like taking just a little bit of time and I do this every Monday as well. I used to do it on Sunday, but with children, I don't know, I'm so heads down in diapers. It's hard to think about like what I'm doing in the week ahead. So I have to wait until I sleep. And then Monday I start planning my week, but I always spend a little bit of time on Monday planning. And then I'm still the primary executor in startup pregnant. Like it's mm -hmm. me. And then I have four part-time contractors. So I am drowning a little in how much work there is to do and could definitely, Tom, talk to you further about how to like let go of some of that. But that's my general planning like framework mm -hmm. and structure. Okay. So, so during the quarter, just Mondays, you'll spend a couple of hours. Is this something that you block off on your calendar or it's just become kind of part of your habit at this point? It's pretty habitual. I mean, I can show you on, no, people won't be able to see it. But I use the, um, the best self planner. I don't know if people know it, but it's like a 90 day planner and it's got a weekly, um, it's got a page for each week and then it's got daily pages. So I do a little bit in the morning, every morning of like, what are my top three? If I could only get one done, what is it? Like I try to be really specific about the major, most important thing. Um, and then at the beginning of the week, the top of the week, I write the the three, like what are the big three things that you're working on? So last week I wanted to ship the 80% version of an ebook I'm working on. And that was like top of the list. And it, I had to work a little bit extra on Sunday. I, I looked at my husband and I was like, I just want 16 hours. And then I, he gave me six <laughs> and I got it done. <laughs> nice. And, and then in the quarterly, when you spend a week, uh, that's, that's less of what do I need to do uh, tactically, but I assume that you're doing a little bit more big picture stuff. Yeah. In so quarterly. I use OKRs, um, which is objectives and key results. And do you know, you both know those? Yeah. Yeah. The structure. And I try to set big picture goals for the next 90 days. So like if I could move, if I could set a theme for the quarter, what is it? So this fall, my Q4 theme is productize. Um, and what I'm trying to do is take the mass library of content we have at Startup Pregnant. We have 125 podcast episodes and some hundred articles and turn it, turn it uh, into products that people can buy at the 10 to $25 range. Um, and I'm working on shipping eBooks. I, big goal of getting five of them done, small goal of getting two of them done. We'll see because quarter four, I always, when I teach people how to do this, I always remind people um, Q4 goes the fastest. It has a week of Thanksgiving if you're in the US. It has a week of Christmas or two if you're parents because the kids are home from school for those two weeks over winter break. People get sick in the fall. Um, you're expected to do your uh, like end of year fiscal stuff um, and you're planning for the new year. So don't count on Q4 being 13 weeks long. Count on it being closer to like eight to 10 weeks long when you do your planning. Mm, love it. Um, Tom, what is your daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly kind of cadence for planning look like? Very different. And I'm very envious because that sounds incredibly <laughs> organized and uh, lovely. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I wish I operated that way. I was the guy where every single college paper, I pulled an all-nighter and didn't start it until like a few hours before it was due in. And so I've had to learn more structure running my company, but like not much. So I wish I could be the person where it's like, this quarter I'm going to focus on like 
this particular theme and I'm going to revisit, like it just all goes out the window if I'm being completely honest. So um, a, a big thing that's helped me is delegation because now we've got this team, I'm actively trying to kind of work myself out of the job. That should be, in my opinion, the job of a CEO. And so the more we scale them up and, and train them up and all the rest of it, I can back off and back off where my job becomes literally like business development, which eventually I should probably delegate as well, and strategy. And so that lets it become more iterative. When it was me doing everything, then I couldn't see the wood for the trees. You know, I was like just in the trenches, chaos. Whereas now my entire job is having meetings with various team members and departments and being like, how can we move this forward? And so the main structure we get is we have about five departments now and we have a monthly department meeting. And that's where we just kind of roadmap for the, the month ahead. And we're like, how did last month go? What are we going to achieve? How can we move things forward? That's about the only structure because whenever I try and do it for the year or the quarter, just all kinds of stuff comes up and I'm too good at saying yes. I'm like, oh, there's an opportunity. There's one. And I just want to do it all. And so it kind of gets a bit chaotic, but it pays off. Like right now we're having an exceptionally good quarter, but that's because we're doing all kinds of new stuff where it's just like, ooh, squirrel. You know, and I do enjoy that. Um, and so, um, yeah, like I, I probably am not the person to look to for organization and things of that nature, but I, I love the iterative approach. I think you become stale without it. And so for me, it's like, how do we do it every day and every week where we're looking for opportunities to improve? We're very much a company of like, how do we keep pushing forward rather than like, we need to sit and get all the directors in a room and hypothesize how we're going to push forward for the next six months it's just a state of being constantly yeah mm. it the um planning process to me has to involve not just what are we going to do but what have we learned from from what has already happened sarah you mentioned uh in the notes for this session today the power of reflection how does that how do you involve that in your planning process I mean, I'll tell you a personal one that has been really helpful for me lately because I felt so um, like I don't have those long stretches of time to be able to sink my teeth into ideas. So I've started to see whether or not I can use my subconscious at night to help me with some of this. So when I go to bed at night, I try to reflect and ask myself a question like very much like a conversation, like I'm getting into bed and I say, okay, what do I want to know more about? All right. If I could have an answer to a question, what would it be? And um, so sometimes at night I'll say, all right, tonight when I'm going to sleep, I want to ask, I, the question I'd like to ask is what can I cut? What can I let go of? I'm like, okay, what can I let go of? And I don't try to hold on to having an answer. And then I wake up in the morning and I try to see if there's something that comes to mind. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and I like realize I had a really panicked dream about swimming. And I'm like, what does this mean? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so that's a very like, like personal answer to that question. But honestly, being able to pull back and pause just for even just for 10 minutes and and exhale, like close your eyes, step away from the screens, exhale, and just let yourself kind of sift and reflect and be like, what went really well last month? What was different than I expected? Maybe what did I say yes to that I that didn't go as well as I hope? Or what do I wish I had said yes to? Um, and what have I learned? 
those kinds of things, you can make leaps forward month over month by asking yourself just a couple of questions and looking back because you start to integrate that learning into how you go forward. Um, a lot of times we just run forward and we never stop to question how we show up. And we're just like, I'm going to say yes to everything. And then, you know, 12 years later, we end up burned out. And if we pause just for a minute and say, did I enjoy saying yes to everything? Was saying yes to everything a good strategy for me? We can say, you know what? I don't like saying yes to dinner invitations because they ruin my sleep, but I love saying yes to lunch invitations. Or I don't like mornings to have meetings in them because then I never get any writing done. Whatever it is for you, it can inform your strategy showing up in the future. Tom, would you like to tell us how you've never done any reflection? And <laughs> hey, you keep having me go no. first, and I'm like the most type A analytical person. Like, I'm pretty sure I sold my notes in college because I took too many and people wanted them. Tom, you would have loved me. <laughs> but you're selling me out the river here because you give like a perfect answer, and then I'm like, I don't know, I'm a shambles. Like, <laughs> it just means um, that like we have our skills are different business. Like I need your design and, and yeah. then I can sell you some strategy. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think is I do, I love the strategy as well. Um, but as I say, it's, I guess, less structured, more real time. It's like, I can't predict exactly where we're going to be in six months. I just can't. Cause like opportunities keep coming up and I feel like stuff moves so quickly. And I know it's every industry, but like, particularly in ours, like, stuff completely it's like a landslide and so we're just constantly like adjusting and i i do kind of thrive off of that like it's um it's yeah it's kind of chaotic but we found calm in the chaos i think we found how, our stride how does that adjustment work like when you notice something's working like what is the prompt that that gets you to see it um i don't know i mean it's like recently again because a lot of my job is strategy like I'll just duck in. I had a meeting with our ads team recently and I was like, this isn't working and it hasn't worked for ages. So we need to fix it. So why don't we try this, this, and this, we got it together. They went and executed it and we've seen like a huge uplift in ads. And so it's like, cool, that worked. Yeah. And so I guess my job is like the fixer. It's like day in, day out. I just like <laughs> jump in and meet with people and I'm like, we need to make this better. How do we make it better? And then hopefully it starts getting better. We don't always get it right, but like, that's nice. Cause there's always like, if, if the business is a car, there's always something breaking down or falling off or another car overtaking us or whatever. So it's like, you're constantly fixing it and the job is never done, but I enjoy that. Mm. It also sounds well, like you have, like part of your job is having that vantage point. Like other people, when they're down and doing the doing of it, it's hard to see what's broken or what needs fixing. And so like reflection is baked into your job description because you have to, you have to be able to see as part of mm -hmm. it. A hundred percent. And don't get me wrong. Like we will reach some points where we're like, things are kind of getting out of hand. I think we need to get the six directors in a room together and see the bigger picture. Um, but if we schedule that in, what I found happened was it became a meeting for a meeting's sake and mm. it would be two hours kind of wasted. Whereas when we feel we really need it, it's like, right, Avengers assemble, we all get together. And then it's like, okay, we need to sort this shit out. And then, and we always walk away from that. And we're like, oh my God, those two hours literally have saved us like six months yeah. of, of chaos. You know, they're, they're so valuable, but we just do them when we feel we really need them. Yeah. Sarah Peck, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks, Corbett. This is awesome. Tom Ross, thank you as well. Thanks so much.
You can find more from Sarah over at sarahkpeck.com or at startuppregnant.com. And you can find Tom Ross at designcuts.com or on Instagram as Tom Ross Media. As always, you can find links to everything we talked about today over at fizzleshow.co. This was episode 346. I'm Corbett Barr. And until next time, thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show. Hey.